Welcome to the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as Tifa Project for short, a podcast show that features stories and life lessons told by American women of Filipino descent. We're your co-hosts, Jen Amos. And I'm Nani Dominguez. And thank you for joining us. If today's conversation resonates with you, text us and let us know at 415-484-8329. And if you want to show us some love, buy us boba at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jen and Nani. It says coffee, but we love boba. Again, that's www.buymeacoffee.com slash Jen and Nani. Awesome. With that said, thank you all for your love and support. Now let's get into the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project. I am here with my co-host, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. And could you believe that we are nearing 100 episodes? Like we are so close. We're just weeks away. How do you feel about that, Nani? I feel very anxious about it. And I just can't believe how fast time has flown. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I remember back then when you came at episode <laughs> six. I think, was, yeah, I think it was like episode six when you came into my life. Aww. And here we are like, you know, 90 plus episodes together. And it's just been so fun. And I bring this up because I just feel like, I don't know what it is, but the start of 2021 has made me want to have more deeper, meaningful conversations with people. Not that we weren't having it already, but I think because of all the listener feedback we have received, I know the meaning of it more so now. You know what I mean? It's like knowing that people are reaching out to us and telling us how the show has impacted them. I feel it. Like I carry that gratitude with me in these conversations. Same. And I think every time we get one of those heartfelt messages from you guys, and again, thank you so much for taking the time. You know, we'll be shouting you guys out and going more in depth about the feedback that we've been getting later on in maybe our hundredth episode. So stay tuned, you guys. But yeah, every time we do receive something like that, it's just like fuel for what we do. And it really is motivating for us. And it's really important for us to understand how our work is impacting you. So thank you again for taking the time, those of you who have to reach out to us and let us know. Yes. Yes. Everything that Nani said. On that note, let's go ahead and bring on our guest here today. We have April Villias Whirl, who is an artist and muralist. Like, take a moment to pause real quick. I'm going to pause right here. I want you all to add her on Instagram. Her Instagram account is April Whirl. Her last name is spelled W-E-R-L-E. So this is her account. So as you're listening to this conversation, look her up. April, welcome to the show. Hi. It feels weird to be able to talk because I've been listening to you guys so much and it it just feels unreal to be here. Oh, I love that. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that. Like, first of all, how did you hear about our show and what compelled you to join us? And last, I think September, I painted a mural and it was the first time that I felt validated to have like my Filipino voice And I had like this identity crisis with it, um, imposter syndrome with it. And after I finished that mural, I was just like feeling really low. And I felt like I really needed to surround myself with my Filipino culture. And so I looked up podcasts first because I love listening to podcasts when I work. And I immediately found yours and Filipino on the Rise and the Filipino American Life and feeling Asian. (laughs) (laughs) All good shows, by the way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
That's really awesome. You touched upon the imposter syndrome, which I think so many of us feel despite our Filipino-ness, whether we're a fool, whether we're one of our parents is of another ethnicity and then the other one is whatever. And we're trying to decide, oh, am I half this or half this or am I this and this, right? And then kind of being in a, let's say white dominated community, but you know that you're Filipina. It's like, where do I stand, you know? But tell me a little bit about that. Like you did this mural and you felt the imposter syndrome. Like what prompted you to feel that way after painting that mural? Um, I actually felt it a lot. As soon as I got the commission, which was a couple months before Mm. painting it, I had a nightmare that my little sister and I were in like Walmart and like all havoc broke loose and there were like grenades being thrown around and it became like this giant like a world and like we were in the middle of a war and they were letting out people of color at the door to safety. And my little sister and I were in line and the security guard was like, you're not like, you're not BIPOC, like prove it. God. And so I'm like, I can't like, like I know a couple words, but that's it. Like of Tagalog or Cebuano. And then I looked to my little sister and I just started bawling and I woke up just like dry heaving from crying. <laughs> But that was like, that's where I was just really nervous because part of the project had a community aspect. And because it was in the middle of the pandemic, I thought, okay, I'm going to do these podcast formatted interviews and record them and just see like, are other people going through this as well? Like this identity crisis and um, how do they see themselves do they see themselves as a person of color in Montana, especially like where if you're isolated, you know, like, yeah. Like, do you see yourself as white or do you see yourself Mm. as other? And I noticed that like, I'm talking to these people and I'm looking at these people and to me, I'm not questioning whether or not they're BIPOC, Mm -hmm. but they are questioning their identity with themselves and they see themselves as white maybe, or white passing. And I thought this difference in perspective was really interesting. And that that was probably what I was doing with myself. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a lot. I mean, I'm taking that in as you're sharing all that, but just thought I'd check in with Nani first. Any thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, as a fellow mixed Panay, I think that that's something, not just mixed Panay's, but mixed people in general, all are really cognizant of from a young age and maybe before anybody else notices, depending on the way that they look and what kind of communities they fit into versus what environments they actually grow up in and how, you know, aligned those are. I think that's something that we're kind of hyper aware of. And so whether or not people are looking at us that way, we are always insistently looking at ourselves that way and kind of like keeping ourselves chained to that prison of like, what box am I, you know, what box should I push myself into? And a lot of what we do here, because with Filipino American identity, it's also that same kind of like intersectional struggle that people can't figure out which box they fit into. And so I think that that is a lot of what we try and unpack here on this show. And I think if I recall correctly, before we got in touch with you, I think your little sister actually reached out to us and we actually spent some time emailing back and forth with her about a lot of that and a lot of her personal story, which I'll save for, I know we're also going to interview her at some point. So I'll save that and let her tell her own story. But again, it means the world to us to hear from you. And personally, as a fellow mixed person, I do love getting that feedback as well, because I've also struggled with those same thoughts and those same kind of self-inflicted like 
judgments, I guess. And so it is helpful to know that like, you're not alone. Thanks. I also want to say I'm so proud of my little sister for reaching out to you guys. It was such a surprise. She sent me your email, um, the first one. And she said that, well, immediately when I heard your episode saying Michelle from Helena, Montana, (laughs) I just like my jaw dropped. I was driving and I just started crying and I was like, oh, call Bunso. And I was like, yeah, you shout have out to her little sister, Michelle. <laughs> and then <laughs> she to have her on too. Yeah. Yeah. She listened to it and she told me that she couldn't help. She like started crying. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ooh, I just, that reminds me, um, shout out to Leah, who I know is listening to this now. You know, we've been messaging her back and forth. And I mean, I'm not going to disclose what we've been messaging each other about because it's very personal, but she's one of many people, including your sister and yourself who have shared with us, like how I think emotionally liberating the show has been for a lot of us to really just feel seen, heard and valued, like to know that like we're not alone and that our stories matter. So it's just, it's very humbling to hear that and to know that Nani and I are doing something good here. And so thank you for sharing that with us. Like that gets me emotional, just thinking like, wow, like we're making an impact, you know, and you being on, like now you could be a part of that impact as well. So shout out to you and your sister. And again, just really happy to have you on here today to have this conversation. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really proud to see her do that because we were raised really differently, even in the same household. And I think that she probably touched on that. Mm -hmm. I was the older one of my mom's children. And so I was the one that had to like assimilate and like report back to the family. Like, this is how you do this. Like it it was my job, like to figure out how to go to college, how to apply for the the class. Yeah. Yeah. And my little sister and I, when we were growing up, we butt heads really bad. And I think it was because um, looking back now, I was frustrated on like, why did she get to like be as Filipino as she is. And why did I have to like take on the role of being the white person in our family? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Wow. That's so interesting because it's like some people want to be more American and then some people want to kind of go back to the roots in a sense. And it's interesting how you both are sort of looking at kind of the grass being greener on the other side in a sense, when really it's like you had to do what you had to do because you were the eldest, right? I remember that email now where, yeah, I believe it was Michelle sharing like how she resonated with my story with my sister. I call her my baby sister, but she's like Nani's age. So pretty much, pretty much. She's not a, a she's not baby anymore. A baby. <laughs> yeah, she's not a baby, but she'll always be my baby sister. But it's interesting because growing up, even though I wasn't the oldest, I was the eldest daughter and I was a middle child. So I just have all the problems. Therapy has been great. But anyway, you know, it's interesting because there are experiences for me where I did feel obligated to protecting my sister from certain things. And then later on in life, I realized that I was actually robbing her of certain experiences. And I remember when we came to this realization that her upbringing was completely different than mine, I apologized to her. Like one of the things I did was I really villainized my relatives for my own personal reasons. Like I experienced different levels of abuse within my own family. And I thought in protecting her in villainizing the family, I was protecting her from that experience, but I didn't realize that she probably would have had a different relationship with them if I had given her the opportunity. So anyway, fast forward to life today, we're doing better and 
we have a project that we're working on together, which is a story for another time. But it is interesting to grow up with that, like different experiences, because I feel like my mom put a lot of expectations on me. I think because I was the eldest daughter where I feel like my sister was kind of able to get away with whatever she wanted. Yeah, (laughs) precisely. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, freaking younger siblings. How could they? No, how dare they? No, I mean... (laughs) It's like, you're welcome for your freedom. I had to put up with all that with the parents. But no, it is it is interesting because I do love my sister and I appreciate her. And it, it is nice to like kind of see things in her perspective and how she like understands life. And because she's a completely different human being that just happened yeah. to be raised in the same household. And it's a beautiful thing to honor that and to witness that. Yeah, I think it also has to do with like your parents too, you know, like your mom when she had you was a completely different person than she was when she had your sister. And so obviously Mm -hmm. there are Mm -hmm. lessons that she learned along the way that she can now apply to her younger kids. But for you, it was kind of like, if you're the first kid, you're like the test run, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think also when I was born, my parents were together for a while. So I still have memories of... Mm my dad and my mom being together and living together Hmm. and having that influence in like my toddler years. (laughs) Then my little sister, when she was born, my parents got divorced shortly after. Hmm. And we were really raised by our Filipino community. Mm -hmm. So there was a really tight group of Filipino women that had children and kind of like took turns picking us up from school. And like, that's, we were really sheltered outside of it, but she was really raised only in that like she doesn't have any memories of our parents being together and I think that's also why her experience is so different than mine and how in my perspective it's an even more Filipino experience than mine yeah that reminds me of how I have experiences of my parents being together unfortunately we lost my dad when I was 10 years old and my sister was only five and so I remember her saying in the recent years, like, oh, my only experience growing up was being raised by a single parent. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting because I never looked at it that way. Like I never did, even though like, yeah, my mom did raise me like from 10 and on. But like, you know, I always imagine like my dad still being there or like the values and the memories I had of him. But my sister like barely had any memories of him, you know? So again, it just goes back to like, not underestimating the experiences that your siblings go through and that they, it could very much be different from your own. Yeah. And I think Michelle is just so private, you know, and like, so it's been really amazing to get to know her more through like sharing this Filipino experience and like actually talking about it. And like my mom, her and I like video chat every few days and we get into like these deep conversations and my mom is just such a tough woman she (laughs) just rolls her eyes a lot of the time and she's like I didn't know that you guys had this experience because she's never internalized the American identity so she has a hard time relating to our experience of assimilating but it is like comedic relief when we're talking about it oh (laughs) I love it Wow. Well, thank you for, you know, sharing all of that. I feel like we had a strong start to our conversation today and, you know, not to take Michelle out of her private life, but thanks, Michelle. <laughs> Shout out to you. And I hope you don't mind us talking about you right now. I hope that doesn't oh, make no, I told her I promised that I would. 
<laughs> she was so happy about that. Said, oh, I love get it. A cameo on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you. And, and I'm so glad that in what you were doing in painting your murals, like you wanted to find something to keep yourself busy. And I'm just so glad that you stumbled across our podcast and now you're part of our conversation. So here we go. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you know, this show is called the Filipino American Woman Project. And I feel like people share like what being Filipino American means to them so differently. Like I feel like we get different answers like all the time. So let us know a little bit more about your family background and why you identify as a Filipino American woman. So my mom had an arranged marriage with my dad when she was 19 and mm. she immigrated from Cebu. And then five years later had me. And then five years after that, my parents got a divorce. And then she became a citizen because she was terrified that we would be separated. Oh, wow. Um, and I think a lot of the way that I self-identify is through my mother's story. It's always been really important to me. And like growing up, she would always tell us, you're Filipino. And like, that was the end of it like we weren't raised to self-identify as white even though we were half white and my dad was kind of in and out of my life but wasn't really a parenting figure because they just did not get along whatsoever wow. um, but it wasn't until 2010 when we went for a family reunion that I realized okay I am white <laughs> <laughs> because like any time that I would say I'm Filipino to somebody that wasn't a family member. And actually, when we went back, most of the town is related to us. Mm. So they would come back with, but you're American. And then they even said the same thing to my mom that she had been Americanized. But I thought that was so interesting because she would never admit to being American. She doesn't participate in, in like our political system or anything. She like shelters herself and like, the only time that she like interacts with people that are non-Filipino is at work. Mm. Yeah. So she just kind of keeps herself in her own little bubble, essentially. Yeah. And for the longest time, her dream was to always go back. Mm. And she's chronically like she has so many health issues that that's not feasible anymore. Mm. But I think that she had been thinking that for so long that, you know, She's just so stubborn. Like my mom is like the most amazingly stubborn person. And she, <laughs> like, I asked her the other day, I was like, would you call yourself a Filipino American? And she's like, heck no, I'm Filipino. And I like work Love really you. hard to keep, you know, to like be proud of that and keep that. <laughs> yeah. Good for her. Yeah. I think that's very interesting about the arranged marriage. And I'm, I'm trying to think about like how I want to pose this question. Did she ever tell you like why she chose to do an arranged marriage? Yeah. So my oldest aunt lived here and she's 20 years older than my mom. Mm -hmm. And she met her husband that worked on a base in the Philippines and they mm -hmm. moved to Montana and she knew that my dad was looking for a wife. And mm -hmm. so she, I think she just kind of took advantage of it. And like, like to this day, they just like go like head on head about blaming each other for like where this marriage went wrong. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he just like, he knew that he was just like trying to get married and he was talking to a few different Filipinos and my aunt was like, you can come stay with my family, wink, wink. 
and mm-hmm. and I have a younger sister and my mom was absolutely gorgeous of course and <laughs> and he was like okay <laughs> and he asked my Lolo for permission and my uncles and they all really wanted my mom to come to America and so she said yes but she wanted to be a nun <laughs> oh that's a fun fact yeah you know the truth of the matter is I mean, and I can't reference this or anything, but I I learned somewhere that like getting married for love is actually a recent concept to be with the one, you know, that completes you. But uh, for most of history and culture, it's transactional in a sense, or it's kind of like a business transaction to get married. And it sounds like they both like had needs that, you know, they were able to fulfill, like he wanted to get married. She wanted to come to the States and there you go. Now in regards to like the love side of it, it's like, now that you're together, you know, maybe they just weren't expecting what happens after like they they achieve their goals. Right. <laughs> so that's just really interesting. And, and it sounds like you're still in touch. Like you're, you're still, you still have a pretty good relationship with both of them. With both my parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. I'm really close with my mom. She's always been one of my best friends. My dad and my relationship is hard because we don't see eye to eye on anything except for (laughs) the last um, like five years. He started painting landscapes and I guess that gives us something to not talk about, to like avoid other conversations. Yeah. I feel like I'm trying to like come up with questions because I'm processing everything that you shared. I mean, you went from this nightmare. (laughs) We started with this nightmare that you had that, you know, this whole like Walmart was evacuating. And the only way that you could leave is if you could prove that you are a woman of color, you know, and then just your story about your parents. It's very astounding, you know, and I feel like you carry yourself really well, you know, so I'm sure there was a lot of growth in between just all the things that you've been through in your life. Yeah, I would say, I don't know if it's, being in Montana, but mm-hmm. I feel like really fully embracing being Filipino American is a new thing for me. Again, I think that it was something that my mom really instilled in us as children. And then in high school, when I started dating is when like my identity crisis happened for the first time. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, since that mural, I think it's really given me the validation that I needed to like be okay with like being who I am I guess I there are a lot of a lot of experiences in high school and college that made me feel like I didn't have a right to talk about being a woman of color specifically mm-hmm. because I'm half or because we're the model minority so we don't count mm-hmm. as having issues mm-hmm. um, yeah so Yeah, no, I think it's important to note something that Jen said in one of our most recent episodes is that for mixed people, it's like, we're not, we shouldn't refer to ourselves and, or let other people refer to us as half anything, you know, even if we are half because our mom and our dad, it's like, we are white and we are Filipino and neither Mm -hmm. of those are less than because the other one is, is there, you know, both truths can be um, held at the same time. And so again, I think that's something that makes people grow up hyper aware of, and again, are like probably more judgmental about themselves than anybody else, depending of course, where you live, what your environment is and what you look like. Um, but I totally get that. And I think for, for your mom's story, it's definitely telling of like a history, a strong history of Filipino American women 
and how they were able to come over here and how they saw marrying American men as Mm. an opportunity for a better life, you know, back in, you know, their day, it was like, you join the Navy, you join the military, or you become a, a caretaker, or you get married and you start a family, you know, and like Jen said, you don't really think about how that's going to play out later down the line after you, you know, do all those things and secure your family and secure your place in America and your kids are grown and, you know, what your life is supposed to look like after then you're just supposed to get there and get it done. So, yeah, I also come from a family of divorce. My parents divorced when I was like four. So I don't have a lot of memories of them together either. And I grew up with them having like a very strained relationship with each other. And also me having a strained relationship with my dad, even though we've stayed really close because of that. So yeah, shout out to my dad. I know he's listening to this. So you know, I'm not saying anything new. We've come a long way. We love you, dad. (laughs) Yes. We love you. We love you always. And good morning, but. And thank you for Nani's microphone. Yes. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) He listens to your podcast and got you a microphone. That is so nice. Well, he's like very into, uh, he like plays in a band and he has lots of sound equipment and knows all about this kind of sound engineering stuff. So yes, he hooked me up, but, um, yeah, no, our relationship has unfolded a lot. And I think it just takes those things, like you said, finding those topics that you can talk about that don't upset either of you guys, or, you know, just a starting place to find that common ground so that it doesn't have to be that like tense between you guys all the time. And from there you can start to build. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is just really top of mind for me right now. So just go with it. I totally binge watched like Tiger King the other night. And I promise you this will make sense. (laughs) I binge watched it and I know everyone like already watched it like months ago, (laughs) but the reason why I'm bringing it up is because, you know, a lot of these, so premise of the show, if anyone hasn't watched it is, you know, these people in America who have private zoos and breed wild animals such as tigers and other things. But tiger was tigers were kind of like the main thing. And really the reason like they, they try to claim like, oh no, we take care of the, the tigers and they're, you know, they're well taken care of them. We feed them, we give them a good life and stuff like that. But really when it came down to was kind of the novelty of having a tiger and wanting to show that off to people, especially like the, the baby tigers, I think, I think they call them cubs, right? So like they had these cubs and it was like this novelty. And eventually you see later in life, you see the impact of that. You see like these domesticated, you know, wild cats that have never experienced, you know, life outside of a cage and, you know, how they can act out and eat someone's arm. Spoiler alert. You don't know who it is though. You have to watch the show if you haven't watched it, but someone's arm gets eaten or not eaten, but ripped off. But anyway, I say all that because I, it's interesting when you have like two people from totally different cultures come together. And on the surface, everyone's like, oh, you're going to have pretty babies. It's going to be so cute. But you don't, they don't realize the impact of what these cute babies will realize, like I, what they'll, what they'll experience growing up, just that inner conflict of like, yeah. am I Filipino or am I American or am I both? Like, what am I? And I'm trying to like relate this to the whole Tiger King thing, but it's like just that idea of like this novelty of like, oh, we have these exotic, you know, creatures. We have these exotic, you know, our kids are going to be like really cute and stuff like that. But you don't think about the long-term impacts of what it means to be, you know, for lack of a better term, exotic, like different kind of thing. And so here I am talking to both of you who are sort of like the result of that. And just this inner conflict you have in juggling these cultures and trying to see like, am I more white or am I more Filipino? And, and I wonder if parents think of that, right. If parents think like, Oh, if I'm going to have this child, um, how am I going to, am I going to instill these values or is it just going to be, 
you know, a novelty to have, you know, a mixed child. And so I don't know if I'm saying that right. I please forgive me if like, if like, if I'm coming off really like offensive or anything, but I'm curious what your thoughts are, are on that, because it's like, it seems like, like it's the mixed children that, you know, have the most internal conflict as a result of, you know, these two parents from totally different cultures coming together, thinking that they could, you know, create some harmony um, in the household. I mean, I say, does that make sense? Am I saying that right? No, I, I, I get so. the reference. And I think yeah. it's, um, again, just telling of the time and like the privilege that we have today to be able to have conversations like this and mm-hmm. unpack things like this for ourselves, because, that just wasn't the conversation for our parents' generation, you know, or our grandparents' mm-hmm. generation. They didn't get to think about those kinds of things and have these kinds of community conversations with people that they didn't know or people that weren't their family or within their close community. And so, again, it just makes me feel grateful to be able to even have the conversation because, no, I don't think that that anyone, you know, thought that that thoroughly about it. And that was just a product or a result of like the time that they were living in and Mm -hmm. the survival kind of mindset that they were operating on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think for my mom, she tells us that she just wanted us to have the best of both worlds, like the rich culture of being Filipino and, and then the ability to say what you want and believe what you want that, you know, freedom of speech in America gives us. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank thank you for engaging with me in that because I was like literally thinking it out loud as I was having. I was trying to make these connections with Tiger King, and, like in our stories so far. Gosh, I want to chime in though for a second. Yeah, go ahead. Um, go ahead. Um, that made me think of. So my partner and I have been binge watching Ninety Day Fiance, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's been so healing for us because. Like, we're like, wow, these people aren't trying to understand each other's cultures at all. And mm. as a result, it showed us like what not to do. And yeah. and we like, he's been embracing the Filipino culture. And, and this is the first relationship that I've had that in, which or had that, which is amazing. But we've been making a ton of Filipino food. And I've been like eating with my hands at home, which is not something that I've ever felt comfortable doing in front of anybody that wasn't my family and and then finding like Filipino music and all this stuff so it's just I love that show (laughs) I'm gonna have to like look that up now Um, 90 Day Fiance yeah I haven't I haven't I haven't seen that one so that sounds really cool (laughs) wait so 90 Day Fiance with an F um yeah it is just trash tv (laughs) (laughs) well you know when I have a cocktail I think that um focuses on pairing um, is it American men or men of from everywhere with like women from other countries it's just it's Americans with people from other countries and then they also have 90 day the other way Mm. and so Americans go to other countries and that was like really exciting to watch yeah (laughs) to watch some squirm watch the show but I've I've heard about it yeah I, I really love April, how your mom instilled Filipino culture in you. And she's like, she's like, I'm not Filipino American. I'm Filipina. You know, and I love it. I love it. So shout out to auntie for that. It gets me to think about like, you know, cause my husband is white and I think about like, I remember one of the first things my mom said was like, Oh, your babies are going to be so cute. And I'm like, really, mom, is that all is like, is that all my child are going to be just a novelty? Like they're just going to be something pretty to look at. I mean, thank you. First of all, that you think we're going to have pretty kids. 
but it's more than that. I would have pretty kids with anyone, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, by the way. (laughs) Like, exactly. Like, I mean, it's I'm the one who makes them pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I produce them. (laughs) But it gets me to think about like, even my own, I guess, fear of what it would be to be a parent of a child that is of like American and of Filipino descent, you know, and, and I think I, I learn a lot, you know, through even Nani's story and in people such as yourself, April, that come on our show that of mixed heritage. And so, you know, it just gets me to think a lot. And I think the idea is we are in a time now, kind of what you mentioned, Nani, where we can instill this in our kids. Like, it's not just about you know, trying to pay the bills or, you know, give the kids a roof over the head, but getting them to actually like appreciate their culture, where they came from. I think what I'm trying to say is just not be whitewashed, right? Like to just not assimilate in the American culture, but part of the American culture is that it is a mixed culture. And so being able to, you know, celebrate that and explore that kind of like how we talked with Megan in the last episode where she is, you know, of Mexican and of Filipino descent. And it was only later in life that she decided to learn about both cultures, you know, and it's like, oh, I wonder how much more empowered we would be if that was instilled at a younger, younger age. So, you know, just to see your own conviction, April, and how your mom, you know, instilled that in you, I think is, is very admirable. And, you know, I just want you to know that you have a, it sounds like you have a pretty badass mom. (laughs) She's so badass. (laughs) And even if she didn't know how to like, you know, connect you with your culture, or unpack that, what that meant for you. It's like, she instilled it in you anyway, so that Mm -hmm. as you got older, you could figure that out for yourself and, you know, make that a part of your own journey. So that's also the, the beautiful legacy that's carried forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you both for indulging in this conversation. I, I think this is a great way to open up. And I, I know we've like gone for a while now, but you know, sometimes we have to sit with certain questions for a while because they're worth they're worth digging into. But let's fast forward to life today, April. Let us know, like what keeps you busy and excited about life nowadays? Only my work. <laughs> it's, like, it. it's literally the only thing that I do. And I don't know how to take a day off. <laughs> but luckily, uh, the research, like, on like Filipino history and um, taking language classes, I consider part of part of my research for my work. And since then, I've been trying to bring in Filipino motifs. And uh, specifically, I know that you had Sapphire on the show, and I got to get in touch with her. And it was a really interesting experience because she's really good friends with somebody in the art community in Missoula, and who like actually gave me Sapphire's contact information last year and I just never reached out to her. Oh, wow. Um, but I was really drawn to her because of her, um, she mentioned Batok. Mm-hmm. And, Tattoo, yeah. Yeah, and that was something that I had been trying to bring into my work. Because mm. um, I decorate the sides of my panels with patterns and I'd been thinking for a long time, like I'm getting tired of like trying to figure out what kind of pattern to use And I had been like really just fawning over, like just loving the Filipino style tattoos and trying to bring in these signs, specifically patterns into my work. Mm -hmm. I have to ask you, like, how do you get into becoming a muralist to begin with? Like, I just think that's so amazing. Like, I mean, I'm not an artist in any way other than if you count podcasting as art, then yes, I do that. But in, in regards to painting, like, I don't even know the first thing to get, like how to get into that. 
to into painting or the or painting murals oh pa- painting let me yeah let me clarify painting murals uh, so I started traveling just to travel and I was using murals as a way to barter and I had painted houses mm. for my dad who has always had a painting business and then painted houses for another contractor in the town that I live in now as just like a way to make like quick money like a job that I like could quit six months later oh. <laughs> and and like I had the skills so I didn't really require too much training so and then I got an art degree here in Montana too so it was just like okay I've, I've got these skill sets I love working large and I used it to barter for um for housing and food while I was traveling super and then um and then I stopped traveling and I like settled down in Missoula and I've just been building that career mm-hmm. locally so I'm curious can you Tell us more about how the like Batok designs are inspired, because I know when we were talking to Sapphire and she was showing us her tattoo, she was saying that like, you don't pick the design or you don't give them the design, they give you the Mm -hmm. design and you just end up with what you end up with. And I'm like, okay, well, how can I plan for a tattoo if I don't know what it's going to look like, you know, because I Mm -hmm. have regular tattoos. So, but I would love to do that one day. So it's like, what is that process like? Like, how is the the design process of coming up with something like that? Right now, yeah. So I would say that I'm inspired by Batok, but I'm not performing Batok, mm-hmm. you know, because that is of a course, practice. Of course. In terms uh, of like the design, like how do, yeah. how is it? Is there like, what is behind the the design? So I have just like a catalog on my computer of Visayan tattoo patterns that I just kind of reference and I'm trying to learn what they mean by using them. And so like, it's just like a method of research and also using something that is like really sacred to us. Mm -hmm. Because it is, I think Sapphire probably mentioned this, but it is a dying art practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's really difficult to find people that that do it. I think she referred me to the person who did hers all the way in Vegas. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to make a trip <laughs> to do that. So yeah, I think yeah. that's amazing that Lane Milken is doing Lane that Milken, for, yes, his name. for Phil Ams. That's it's really incredible. For sure. Yeah, no, I definitely want to do it. I just have to design, I mean, uh, plan a trip around it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you know where you would want it? No. And that's also like partly why I ask because I'm like, if you don't know like how big it's going to be or, you know, what the dimensions are, like, how do you plan where you even want it on your body? But yeah, I guess I, I need to probably have a consultation or something with him first. I know that the designs and like where he tattoos it on you is dependent on your Filipino heritage. Oh, so it's like, it's really special because oh, really cool. he puts yeah. in a lot of work too, like, um, because Sapphire has, is beside descent, descending, mm-hmm. descent. <laughs> and so, huge. yeah, but I think that if you research, where is your family from? My family is from, um, Cavite, Cavite. It's like by Manila, 45 minutes out of Manila. Okay. Yeah, they're different different patterns. Have you seen the Mama Batok that is from Luzon? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. 
but you could go there and you could do it while she's still alive. That would be, oh my God, I would love that. Yeah, um, oh, is it, um, what was that? Um, she's like on YouTube. She's like super old. Is that who you're talking about? Um, probably no, because she's name? everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, there was this one lady that's like super popular on YouTube that people go to for the Batok tattoos in northern Luzon. But I think that she like retired a couple years ago or something. Okay. And so she passed on the practice to like a couple people in the community that still do it there. But yeah, when I went to the Philippines last year, unfortunately, I did not get to take the trek up there to try and see if if I could get that done. There was just a whole slew of other things going on but that is something that I want to do eventually did you go to visit family or just to go um I went with friends and I was going to take like five days out of my trip to spend with family except it was the um same day that the volcano Taali had erupted which is right by where my family is and so they had the whole area blocked off and I couldn't get to them and they couldn't get to me so I didn't end up seeing them so it was kind of like um definitely not a waste of a trip, but it was, it ended up just being a a pretty touristy trip where I was just, you know, partying and having fun with my friends instead of doing the like cultural things that I wanted to do to like connect with my heritage. So, um, okay. I I was just asking, cause I was wondering if you're like, how would it be comfortable to go visit your family at the same time as getting a tattoo (laughs) oh yeah yeah yeah. they I mean um I would probably ask one of them to go with me for that because at least the lady that I had found on YouTube that was like someone that you had to like um hike to basically like you know Mm -hmm. it was on the part of Luzon where there's no like motorized vehicles allowed and so it's like a very preserved indigenous community and so Mm -hmm. you have to like you know take the bus and then park or rent a car and then park somewhere and literally hike like nine hours to get to her or where she is. And I was like, oh yeah, I want to do that. Even though I'm sure if I had done it once I was like halfway through, I would have been like, oh my God. (laughs) But yeah, no, I would have definitely asked one of them to go with me because I don't speak the language and I don't know Mm -hmm. the land. I don't know how to get around. So that was actually my first trip and I definitely would have needed a chaperone. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of us can go to the Philippines right now at the moment, but I would definitely love to have a chaperone. Last time I went, I went with a bunch of community leaders in San Diego. And so it was more about, it was more like kind of like missionary work than it was than, you know, just touring to tour. But, you know, we were able to like tour like the the best and the worst of the Philippines, which was pretty interesting. But I think if I were to go back, I definitely just like you, Nani, would want to have a chaperone just because of all the things I've been told, like, and then like how I have this impression that it's yeah. like unsafe to travel by yourself, especially as a woman. Yeah. an American woman. <laughs> and so even though I look Filipino and I have Ilocano skin, you know, it's like, no, I'm American. And like, they'll, they'll pick that up like really quickly. And yeah, it's kind of sad <laughs> to say that I can't even feel safe in my own motherland. But anyway, we don't have to deal with that right now because I can't go to the Philippines. So well, we'll we're co- stuck we'll, here anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll cross our bridge when we get there and everything, but um, yeah, no shout out to Sapphire. She is badass. She actually is an award-winning podcaster as of last December, 2020 for best editing for her show. So shout out to her. Shout out to um, Sapphire. Yeah, she had some badass like sapphire color like lipstick. You remember that, Nani? It was like mm-hmm. really cool. So anyway, Sapphire, we love you and you know it. But we just we always like to remind you that you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Also, April, I, I am curious to know, because I do have the notes here, and I think you sort of hinted at it, but um, you know, you mentioned that activism is really important to you right now, and you like to incorporate that into your art. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so in art school, I had a professor that was always telling us, what's your prima mater? And like, I would always think, hmm, maybe I should make work about being Filipino American. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I did, critiques were just absolutely brutal. And I had this performance class that I had sat in on a couple years before. And so I knew that being naked in performance class <laughs> was like not a weird thing. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for a way to reference my skin and mm-hmm. um, reference this vulnerability. And like, and these were like, we locked the door during performance class. Mm-hmm. And and my very first performance, I the lights turned on and I'm fully nude. And I had collected clothes and borrowed clothes from various people that were like, were garments of other cultures. And mm-hmm. I had like slowly put on just like this hodgepodge of different cultures clothes and that one was really well received but then I kept like doing the same dialogue and I think just the combination of being nude in class but then also like this underlying dialogue of you're Asian American in a white space do you even know what it's like to you know have discrimination Mm. and you're not black you're not indigenous so what are you even talking about? And like, that was like how my critiques went. And wow. And it kind of like just put me into, like it put me further back into my shell. And I graduated college and I just kind of dropped the Filipino like discussion in my work, like the references. And, um, and I'm a painter. Um, I, I think that's kind of obvious now. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't go with the performance thing and I just like kept making these paintings and I just wasn't feeling fully like satisfied with them. Like I was referencing Montana landscapes and that still mm. just didn't feel necessarily like invigorating or like that I had any purpose making them. And I feel like that's been the biggest change in bringing in these Filipino motifs into my work is like, now I have something to say now, like now I know that people actually care about, you know, this perspective. And I think that's like the best gift that the Zootown Arts Community Center gave me this last year was like, not only did they like put food in my belly and help me pay for housing during the pandemic, they also told me like, we want to hear your Filipino American voice specifically. Wow. Wow. And and I actually got to, I think what really started me bringing in this imagery was that mural wasn't specifically like, I think I, like I tried to put like an Asian flair to an iconic building in Missoula. And that was like, as much as I touched on it, I had two hands that were connecting that referenced like this biracial identity conflict and the hands were different sizes. And I was painting next to two amazing indigenous muralists, um, Stella Nall, or yeah, Stella Nall and Willow Kip. And they brought in all of this, like Stella brought in like this mythological character that she had created from her own, like um, 
Indigenous stories. And Willow brought in all these patterns from her Indigenous roots. And I sat there thinking after I finished this mural, like, what would that look like if I did that with like our Filipino culture? Mm-hmm. And I think I, immediately I thought of Lane Wilkin because my auntie shared a book he wrote with me a couple of years ago and was, we were having a conversation about like, that it's okay that I got a tattoo. This was, <laughs> this was like back in 2016 and that she thinks it's weird as well that like, you know, it's kind of deemed like bad in, in Filipino culture and that this is like something that was a sacred thing mm-hmm. to our ancestors. Um, mm-hmm. So when I was thinking about, okay, how do I bring in the, this imagery into my work? I immediately went to these tribal tattoos as a way to change out the patterns in my work, but like, just like things that were like kind of easy to just like change out. Cause I already have this style that I work in. And so And then like, you can see a painting in the back. There's like a silhouette of a palm tree. And then also taking in like the mark making in, what's it called? Oh, the word just is escaping my mind. But just like this Asian style that Mm -hmm. like, I'm just trying to bring back because I remember um, when we were growing up, we had all of these Asian paintings like um like fan paintings in our house and I was thinking about those as I was painting my last on my last painting and I asked my mom what happened to those like Mm -hmm. when I visited home and realized they weren't in the basement or anything and she said oh when we moved when you were little you guys asked me to throw those away and I was so embarrassed and just really upset with myself. But at the same time, I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. and, and her house right now is just filled with like, all these like Western landscapes and like paintings of deer and like a Charlie Russell print. And it's not her, like, she just kind of like, adopted these paintings in the divorce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, we are talking and I'm going to paint her a oh, and a Baha'i Kubo. That is one of the motifs, but I'm going to paint her a painting for her living room because she has been saving up and finally pulled the trigger on getting a new living room set and she totally deserves it. Hmm. And I'm uh, making a painting with a Baha'i Gubo because she requested that <laughs> for her living room to match all of her new furniture. Wow. That's um... that you get to paint for your mom. Yeah, it's really special because I know she didn't want me to be an artist. <laughs> like we decided a long time ago that architecture was the right route for me. And then I went to architecture school and I dropped out and I started up the next semester in a new town for art. <laughs> That's hilarious. You should just like rub it in her face somehow. Like, oh, look at me painting, uh, painting for you now. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> well, yeah, she, I think... It helps me, you know, work a little bit harder because I, in a way, have to justify to her. I think that she just inside, she knows that I'm like doing it and like making it happen. Mm -hmm. But I feel like she is scared to let me see her feel that way. 
Mm. because maybe I won't work as hard or or I don't know. I feel like <laughs> yeah, she still has her own idea like an, of what you should be doing and what your success should look like and you just mm-hmm. have to go through your own process and start showing her maybe by painting her paintings for her own house that this is what success looks like and you are, you know, doing it for yourself and this mm-hmm. is also your journey and not hers and so that's also something that is hard I think for all parents to accept and let go of and trust their kids with because of course as our moms they think that they know what's best for us right and I've like brought her newspaper clippings and I think Michelle is my biggest supporter in our family and and she kind of has helped my mom understand that yes I do have a career that I'm working on and also I think that bringing in this these Filipino motifs is giving her something to relate to in my work which is really cool (laughs) Because I think she's been slowly over the last few years trying to get there. But mm-hmm. now seeing these things that she actually resonates with in my work is like really just tying that knot. So she's like low key happy for you, but she's not like outwardly showing that yet because she's like, oh, I wanted you to be an architect, but it's okay. Cause I'm painting, <laughs> painting for you now. So it's all good. <laughs> no, I think she just doesn't want like things to get to my head. So she feels oh. like... <laughs> that's hilarious I love it yeah well thank you so much for sharing that and just your story of when you were in college and the critique you got you know that sort of uh, silenced you for a while but here you are now fully embracing yourself as with your Filipino identity and incorporating that in your work so we had someone else on our show Nani too that paints murals uh, like her name Anna. Yeah. Anna Dugan, I believe. And she's in Massachusetts. I believe I'm, I'm, I might told me getting that wrong. Wait, let me look her up real quick. Give me one second. Okay. (laughs) I want to look her up too. You should send me her handle. Yeah. Yeah. So her, her IG handle is Anna did a thing. Oh, wait. Okay. I think I heard that episode and went and followed her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let me just quick shout out to her episode 60 failures, never a stopping point instilling Filipino pride at a young age and viewing her artistic skills as a trade worth paying for with Anna Dugan and uh, IG handle. Anna did a thing and she is in Massachusetts, so Salem, Massachusetts. So that's where she's at make uh, painting murals and stuff. But yeah, no, she was really incredible to speak to. And I think inspiring to all of our Panay creatives who want to pursue, you know, their creativity as, as part of their professional uh, career. So it's really cool to to get that. I like her work. (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. No, she's amazing. Um, She's always tagging us and everything (laughs) on on Instagram. Not so much lately. So Anna, if you're, if you're listening to this, uh, we miss you tag us more. Awesome. Well, yeah, again, thank you for sharing all of that. Well, we are arriving to the last and really my favorite question, uh, the way to wrap up our uh, conversation today. And I really like doing this because I like to end on a positive note. Not that this was like negative, like at all, but it's always nice. I think for our listeners to walk away with something like a, a lesson to contemplate about for, you you know, the next week before the next interview. So April, as we wrap up here, uh, we want to share a life lesson and you share here that the lesson you want to share is that uh, how we identify is up to us and our life experiences and the culture we are raised in can't be taken away by someone simply telling us that we are white. I think that's very profound. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I think that what I'm discovering now and I think I've discovered several times in my life (laughs) and and it just like kind of builds upon itself is that there's nothing that I can do 
to make me feel like I belong anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I can learn the language. I can learn all the history. But until I feel comfortable with who I am right now, none of that is going to help. Right. It's kind of like having that constant carrot dangling on a stick and you're thinking, oh, if I can just get get that carrot, like, you know, I can be this, I can be that. And sometimes you just, oftentimes we come to find that you just have to love yourself for who you are right now and like own who you are right now. And I think that's very, very profound to say, when did you feel like you had that realization? Like, you know, it starts with me. Like it it starts with me, like owning the fact that I am, you know, Filipina. I think there's been a few times in my life where I've either like gone down on the deep end or like have rediscovered that I love this about myself. The first time being in 2010 was like the first time that that was like the boat was rocked because I had always been like so proud to be Filipino that I told everybody that I was Filipino and yeah. I told everybody everything I learned about being Filipino. And then going to the Philippines in 2010, I was like, okay, so do I say I'm Filipino and American say and I'm, I'm American in the Philippines? Mm. And then I just kind of was like, okay, sure. That works for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And because at least here where I am the majority of the time, then I can be Filipino. And then I studied abroad in 2016 and in Malaysia. And when I was there, I took a week out of school to celebrate my birthday with my family in the Philippines by myself. And then I came back and I started making that work in college about like, like, how do I describe myself to people so that they don't interrogate me? Mm. And that's where I found the hyphen of just saying I'm Filipino American. And then nobody asks any questions. And then I think I stayed there. And then I kind of just like sat with that for a few years. And then now I'm rediscovering, like trying to bring this Filipino back into my life, into my life separate from my family and my Filipino community that working over time to like relearn things that I haven't done since I was like living at home or learn the language and learn about history. Like I've just been like exhausting myself and that I need to be easier with myself. Like I can't just like learn it overnight. And also (laughs) it doesn't make me less Filipino to not know those things because I just am Filipino. (laughs) Yeah. And also it's like, you have the rest of your life to learn, right? Like it's already part of you and it's up to you to want to learn it. And you don't, like you said, you don't have to learn it all at once. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that self-acceptance is so important. And especially, you know, that whole feeling of not feeling Filipino enough is part of the Filipino American experience, you know, because I think that that's more common in most of our the way that we connect with our identities than we all originally think. And so again, it just takes accepting that about yourself, saying it out loud, and then realizing, oh, everybody else in this community also feels that way for one reason or another. So yeah, I think that's a great starting place and a great place to always come back to also when you feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's this quote, man, It's like totally like just buried in my tweets, but I'll try my best to summarize it. So the actress, I think her name is Christian that plays Selena. Wait, let me get her name. (laughs) 
I totally tweeted like what she said. Oh, Christian Serratos. So she's the one who played the recent Selena series on Netflix. So what I like to do is I binge watch stuff and then I like to watch interviews of the actors afterward. You know, she's Mexican American and she was telling the story about like, you know, what she likes about Selena is that she also was Mexican American and she actually had to learn Spanish like as she was growing her career. And Christian was sharing that she could relate to much uh, relate so much to Selena in kind of like juggling, trying to like rediscover your culture. And she said something along the lines of like, you know, you're not any less if you don't know a lot about your culture, if anything, it's like, you know, you're not any less if you don't know your heritage. Like if anything, it adds now to your life moving forward that you have this new part of yourself or this part of yourself that that was always there that now you can discover that, you know, and it, it's so something like that. I'm totally butchering it, but she said, she said something that was just very, it just felt very universal and also relatable to people such as ourselves who were, you know, raised mainly American and trying to get in touch again with our culture. I don't know if you heard it differently, April, but what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) I guess it wasn't the same quote, but there were so many quotes that I like had to stop, rewind and listen to again in the series that I loved so much. And I think one of them like at a table when they're talking, but I think the one that I remember the most was when she's little and she's in the car with her dad and he's like, cause she's asking why she has to learn Mm. and listen to Mexican music. And he's like, you're both at the same time. (laughs) And I thought that was so profound. But yeah, Selena was like my first idol growing up. And I think it was just because like, you know, she was a woman of color on screen. And Mm -hmm. like, as a little girl, you know, like, we don't, we didn't grow up with like, big name, you know, superstars that were necessarily out about being Filipino American. And I think that's still true today, although it's increasing. Mm -hmm. um, That I clung on to her because she had the most similar experience. Yeah, for sure. Well, I feel like we talked about a lot today. I feel good. I feel good. I don't know. How do you, how do you feel, Nani? Any thoughts <laughs> about our conversation today? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, I think this is a great way to wrap up our conversation, April. It's so great to speak to another avid listener of our show. So thank you for not just being a listener, but contributing for our other listeners to, you know, hear more voices uh, such as yourself. So thanks again so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having this platform. It's been so healing for me and my little sister and my mom and my cousins. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no pressure, Nani. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we we found out like through Justine that like the colleges are even using our show as like part wow. of their homework assignment. And we're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I, um, I need to get it together then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that, that I think that's what I love the most about our project is that Nani and I are just being ourselves you know, and it speaks volumes to so many people. And I think that is just a a testament to how we're in a time where, where we can celebrate our individuality, but also our, you know, kind of our shared struggles, you know, as Filipina American women. So, so I'm here for all of it. I'm happy. (laughs) I'm in a good mood. It's a, it's a good weekend, but April, let us know, let's remind people if people want to connect with you, how can they find you on Instagram it is the best way to find me at April World, W-E-R-L-E. And then, or email. I love getting emails as long as they're not spam. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And it's just like my first dot last at Gmail. 
Awesome. I love it. Yeah. I think Nani and I have grown to love emails as well. I mean, I like it because it just feels like that uh, handwritten letter in my mailbox, you know, like it's not like the junk mail. It's like, oh, it's like someone like sent me a letter and were thinking about me and took the time to write something thoughtful. Like it's not just this automated, you know, mailing thing, like to um, know that there's a new realtor in town, you know, it's like, no, it's, it's actually from a personal person, which I personal, a personal person, <laughs> a real person, <laughs> a real person, you know, sending these thoughtful things, but I love it. Awesome. Well, I think that's it, everyone. I think we've covered all our bases here. I feel pretty good about our conversation. Nani, thanks again for co-hosting with me as always. You're welcome as always. Yes. And April, again, thank you so much for joining us on our show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And shout out to Michelle. We're going to have you soon. So we're (laughs) calling you out next. Um, All right, here we go. So to our listeners, once again, if you want to learn about us, or if you all want to get a hold of us, including April, remember to check out the show notes of this episode or check out our website, tfawproject.com. That's tforproject.com. And of course, if you want to text us 415-484-8329. And if you want to buy us a cup of coffee or a cup of boba, it could be either or it's totally fine. Check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jen and Nani. All right, that's it. We're done. So thank you, everyone. We love you all. And we'll chat with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Bye.